as I exit the aircraft, my leg got caught up in the line. It's just, it's just still a static line in, uh, jump. And um, I was frantically trying to kick my leg out in time before the parachute opened and I couldn't. But my leg got pulled up and over my head. So straight away, I felt a, um, thankfully my leg got released and wasn't taken completely off. But straight away, I felt a, a, a pain I'd never felt before. Welcome to this edition of the Outdoor Community Podcast, where I will be talking to the incredible Dean Stott. Dean is a former British Special Forces soldier who left the military after suffering a severe knee injury in a parachuting accident in 2011. He then established a distinguished career in the private security sector, where he was renowned for his willingness to take on any job, no matter how dangerous. Then in 2016, Dean was ready for a new project, and he wanted to use this to help others. He began training to cycle the longest motorable road in the world, the Pan American Highway. Dean completed the 14,000 mile route from Argentina to Alaska in May 2018, gaining two world records and raising an incredible amount of money for charity in the process. I hope you enjoy this relaxed and very inspirational story. Yeah. What I want you to do, Dean, take me right back to, hmm. to, to young Dean. Who was Dean before he joined the forces and, and had the career he had? What, what were you like as a kid, mate? Yeah. Um, so I was, I was born into a, a military family. And um, so, as we used to call them, Pads Brat, you know, you'd, you'd move house every year, you know, just so you start building relationships and friends at school, you know, you know, pack up and move on and then I know what you mean. start I all over again. So that was very much... Yeah, I had the same upbringing as well. Yeah, same upbringing. My old man and uh, my old dear actually split up when I was um, when uh, when I was just turned eight. So we moved back to Manchester. My old dear was from Manchester at the time, and um, sort of went from that comfortable environment to a bit of an unstable environment. And my ended up in a homeless home in Moss Side in Manchester, which really? you know back in the mid eighties was. Yeah, it was the roughest estate in, in the UK. You know, me and my sister being the only, the only two white children in the school, obviously, you know, it wasn't long before I was, I was scrapping in the playground. So um, we, we got moved on from there to another school. You know, and, um, yeah, using my fists as well. Um, but my father actually got uh, custody of me and my two sisters you know, about a couple of years later. So we moved back down, back down to Aldershot. And um, my old man's old, old school Sergeant Major is a Scotsman yeah. as well, he was. And he's like, remember start, starting secondary school. And in his head, you had to be like smart and everything else. So he had me in a blazer with a briefcase, like this number two, grade two haircut. And was wondering why, uh, you know, I was a scrapping again within a week. I was going to so, say, um, that's probably worse than being so back yeah, in side, wasn't it? Oh, yeah, exactly. so, um, <laughs> yeah, no, probably worse, mate. I look like that geezer out of in between us. So I um, <laughs> but he, he then retired. <laughs> he then retired actually, and we moved it to a little village in in Surrey. So we sort of left just as I was starting secondary school. We sort of left that that military lifestyle behind us, and it was the only. It was the first time really I felt settled you know we weren't moving every three years um all my friends were civilians they didn't have any sort of affiliation with the military so it was almost like 
know, starting from afresh. Yeah. And yeah, I went to school in Surrey and, um, you know, went, finished school, went, went to college, but I wasn't really interested in, in further education. But from a young age, my father used to take us to Newquay every summer holidays. So, and, and I've been surfing from a young age. So I had a real love for the water from a young age. My father was also in the military, known as what was a, uh, a tracksuit soldier. So he wasn't a career soldier. He was very much uh, very good at sports. So he was the army football manager, uh, coach and player. So his, his career was based around his, his sport in uh, academic. So that was, that was enforced upon me as well as a young age about being competitive. You know, there's always that competition with my father, even if we, you know, even play ball games on Christmas Day. Like yeah. you had to win, yeah. you know. Yeah. You so that, that was instilled at a young age as well, which is I sort of relate back to. But I, I went to Newquay with my mates on a summer holiday, and I didn't come back. You know, you know, you've ruined your education. You know, what are you going to do now? And I sort of, I said, well, I'll, I'll join the army. And uh, it was really at the time it was probably to get him, stop him nagging my ear. Um, but you know, he, he gave me those warm, comforting words that I'd probably last two minutes. Which to me, I just took as a, as a strength, a bit of fire in the belly. So yeah, the following Monday, went into the careers office and um, signed up for the, uh, the British Army. Did you think subconsciously that you were probably always going to join the army with the sort of, um, you know, the early part of living on the, the married quarters and all that sort of stuff? Or had you completely forgotten all about mm. that for those, you know, with this sort of fresh start you had? Did it just sort of come from nowhere, this, this decision to join the army? Or do, you, do you think subconsciously it was always going to happen? It may have subconsciously always happened. You know, when I moved to Surrey, you know, I'd sort of left that life behind us. But my father was still working in, in Oldershop. Yeah. So you still would, would travel in and you would still would see the parachute regiment. You still see the Red Devils. The Red Devils used to take off from our school playing field. And the, yeah. you know, the balloon that the paras jumped from is, you know, so... But I always remember that being, um, always enjoyed that environment. You know, I always felt yeah. safe in that environment. And I think it was the conversation with my father on the way home from Newquay. It was all of us like, well, the military was good for you. You've got your pension and everything else. So it's obviously not a bad option. I always want, I wanted to be a fireman. That was my original aim. Yeah. I always wanted to be a fireman. But to get a job and at the age of 17 you know well, you had to be 18 anyway I just thought well if I go to the army I can get that discipline and it will help my CV and that, so that was my initial thoughts was still to be a fireman and what yeah. could you know help me in that help get that job and I thought well the military would be great so being an older shot lad you went on and joined the engineers why why, why not the paras what, what made the choice of where you went was it something that was said in the careers office well, no, no, I went, I went into the careers office and came out joining the Paris. Right. Um, and I walked over to my father's office, which was only about 400 metres away from the careers office. And I said, oh, I'm joining the Paris. He said, you're bloody not. And he marched <laughs> me straight back in. But my father had never really talked about the military. He never forced it upon me uh, growing up. Um, so I wasn't aware of nine para engineers, five nine commandos. And when he sat down and explained to me the options, you know, I think to him at the time he thought was get what you can from the military. And obviously being an ex-engineer himself, he knew about getting a trade. 
So he told me about nine squadron, five nine. He said, even if you go five nine, you can go recce troop and get your, your wings and your dagger. So, yeah. so that's what I did. I then went back into the careers office and said, I'd like to join the Royal Engineers. And um, you then get to choose your trade. And I did like this touchscreen test, which meant I could choose any trade. And in the early 90s, I was always thinking about the thing that was hanging between my legs. And I thought, bomb disposal sounds sexy to women. I'll do that. And um, <laughs> Again, I came out and my father's like, no, you're bloody not. And he took me back in. And um, <laughs> so he was almost, it was great. That had um, he wasn't saying you should do this, you should do that. But he was almost, he was you know, nudging me in the right direction, if that made sense. And um, Was he right? Yeah, he, he was right. It's sort of hindsight. I did an A trade. I was a plant operator mechanic. Um, but now, obviously, with a property business as well, I wish I'd done something like an artisan trade, like a, <laughs> yeah. a chippy or a plumber. Yeah. Uh, maybe something I can do. I can knock down a house with a bit of plant, but I can't actually yeah. fix anything in the house. Um, but no, I think I think he was right. And, you know, I, I then went on um, and, and to join the engineers and then went on to 5.9. But in older shop. I'd never heard of the Royal Marines. I'd never heard of the SBS because there would there would never be a careers office in Oldershire. So we we served together in in Kosovo. And just for the for the for the listeners that don't realise, five nine commando, and there might be some non sort of military types listening, is a sort mm. of very specialist reconnaissance area within within the engineers, which you know targets small well small teams isn't it that go going sort of behind enemy lines gathering information before the bigger forces go forward i was a royal marine serving in the brigade patrol troop you were an engineer in five nine recce and we spent six seven months together in in kosovo which i thought was you know an amazing experience and and, an amazing time yeah I, i know from then you know there's always a bit of competition isn't there within the forces and five nine recce engineers for me were always you know some of the most professional fit outstanding soldiers that that we had in the british military at the time but a sort of an unknown entity to the to to the wider world Um, but they were you know they were in comparison to any any other sort of organization that i that i've worked with in my time in 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 the military and you guys were certainly exceptional on that on that tour and i just couldn't believe the amount of fears and exercise you used to do you know every day i mean you really you were really professional from a looking after yourselves and being physically active point of view um, yeah which which was which was you know it's always good to see you know fit body fit yeah. mind and all and all that sort of stuff but you you bounced on from there and there's a couple of there's a couple of routes for the for the listeners again on, on military minded that if you want to extend and excel again quite mm-hmm. often people who come from yours and my background will, will head towards the special forces the sbs and the sas and um you know, many, many, many guys come from the commando forces into those organizations. But there's always a line between which way you go. And coming from an army background, you'd be expected to go more down the SES route. It's not something you had to do, but you were also very linked into the Royal Marines. I'm just interested in the decision why you decided to go for an SBS selection instead of an SAS selection. Yeah, so, you know, I think, you touched on it rightly uh, back in with Brigade Recce Force and 5-9 Recce. I think that drive and us, we, we were ambassadors Squadron and 5-9 always felt that they needed to perform at their, their best abilities because they represented the cat badge. And I think that's something that, I think it's a pride thing. And, and again, it's that competition. It's that, so having spoken to you know, one of the, 
one of the uh, instructors there. And, and also, I spent eight years, I was very fortunate to spend eight, eight years in Free Commander Brigade in 5-9 and seven years of that in Recce Troop. Um, so all I'd ever known was that commando family. I did also see a lot of lads go into the SAS, but I was also the senior diving instructor for the Army. So for me, it was that natural transition. You already had the Green Beret, you're, you're comfortable underwater. Um, so the SPS was attracted to me. I did the both briefing courses. I did the Hereford briefing course and I did the pool briefing course uh, a week later just to see the difference. But just the relaxed environment, you know, wearing shorts, frog shorts, frog t-shirt, Oakleys, it, it just being around the water, I was more comfortable in the water than I was on land. So that's why my, my choice, much to the disgust of the lads in Hereford, um, but very glad I made that decision. <laughs> Yeah, good. So, so how how you know how how was that career once you transitioned once you transitioned in? Did you just blend in nicely with the lads at pool? And you know, was it was was that operational part of your your career something you look back on with with, with, with you know pride and something yeah. that you um, you know really really changed you as a person? You know, being one of the first guys, you, you, you know, they say be a grey man on selection. I was grey for about the first 10 minutes um, because everyone knew that I was going. And also coming from 5-9 Recce Troop, we had a great pass rate on selection. So it was almost like, what's he doing? Why is he going SBS? So, and there was a couple of instructors actually on selection who were X 5 9 and 9 squadron. And obviously I got their attention. But, you know, it was a bit of banter. It was pick up a rock in your burger and, you know, go to the end and, and, and things like that. So, but once I passed, transition was fine. It was almost, you know, it, it, they, I think the SAS knew it was going to happen. The, the floodgates were slightly open. I think 15% now of SBS are army. But being one of the first guys, the transition and the way I was received by the SBS was, was great. You know, there was not an issue at all um, and I blended in, in perfect. There was issues, however, with more the admin side, being one of the first guys, you know, yeah, at the time, you had, you had JPA. JPA had kicked in in the Navy. Yeah. I hadn't kicked in in the Army yet. So I had to go collect my SF pay for the first year and a half from 148 Battery. Um, <laughs> you know, I was, then, I was then told, I went on selection as a sergeant. I was then told I had to go on my juniors at Limston. I was at, I was an instructor a few years back. So exactly, yeah. Just, try, just to them, just trying to understand what skill sets we already have in the Army. I think they just saw, saw us as Marines and we should do the same career path as well as them. But we've already had a career before we come across. So it was just, it was just understanding those sort of blurred lines. But other than that, you know, very much the... the the right decision and you know i mean uk sf history is probably the busiest time on paper you had iraq you had afghanistan you know we were doing hostage rescues i was very fortunate to do the first ever operational jump with the sps so i was ticking a lot of boxes you know quite early in my career there fortunately i got, I got injured out uh, after 16 years so I, I that's why i had to leave okay was was that a sort of devastating blow to have to sort of step out and yeah, it was a, it was a it was a huge blow. How much really. time did you have to, to build up before the medical board said, look, you know, that's it, you know, you can't carry on with this career? Did they force you out or was it was it an obvious thing that just you just had to do? Did you have a choice? Yeah, it, was, it, was a, it was a bit of both. So originally I, I'd actually put my um, you know, I was in two minds whether to get out myself or, or not. You know, I was at I was at that sixteen year point. You, you hit that yeah. point is whether you do you stay in and, and do the long haul. 
Yeah. Or you're at a young enough age now, you're 32, 33, there's other opportunities. So yeah. it's, that, it's that, that, that phase in your career, and most guys can, re- can relate to that. Um, yeah. But then the decision was then made for me um, three weeks later. We were out doing a pre-deployment training, just about to go on another tour to Afghan. I was doing a hey-ho jump, which is a high-altitude, eye-opening jump, um, which is a method of insertion, and you exit the aircraft at 15,000 feet. And uh, as I exited the aircraft, my leg got caught up in the line. It's, just, it's a still a static line um, uh, jump. And um, I was frantically trying to kick my leg out in time before the parachute opened, and I couldn't. And my leg got pulled up and over my head. So straight away, I felt a um, – thankfully, my leg got released and wasn't taken completely off. But straight away, I felt a, a, a pain I'd never felt before. Um, I started vomiting because of the pain. I was also drifting in and out of consciousness because of limits of oxygen. Um, but no one else in the team realized there was an issue. So I had to still, still stay with the team and, and land it. And again, going through your head is, you know, as you know, parachuting. If you, if you have a bad land, uh, you know, it could be some severe consequences. So that was my worry. If I have a bad landing, I could actually damage the, uh, the good leg. But it was a great landing. It was one-legged, but unfortunately, the damage sustained. I tore my ACL, my MCL, my lateral meniscus in the knee, my hamstring, my quad, and my calf. So all the supporting muscles as well. So you know, we had an MRI scan the next it's day. Horrendous. Yeah, it's horrendous, mate. Yeah, but then the issue I then had, I couldn't get back to UK to start physio because that initial period is where you can, you know. Um, help yourself because the, the Icelandic volcano had grounded all aircraft so I was stuck I was, during that I was stuck so was out that in, an, uh, uh, was that an operational jump without giving too much away or was it just training I was training I was, pre, I was in Oman I was pre-deployment yeah. training that one and so I was just chucked in a hotel with painkillers and waiting <laughs> for an aeromed you know because we couldn't get an aeromed in yeah. and, you know, got back to UK and you know got sent home for six weeks went back to Celio they lost my MRI scans it then started becoming a spiral yeah. uh, of events really but unfortunately you know, my squads were out in Afghan at this time you know their focus yeah. is that you're sort of the, the rear party and um, it took me 44 weeks to get an operation in the end it was wow. just yeah you know I, you know, I love the military and I, I, I love my time in the military but it just felt I left under a bit of a cloud, I, I felt. You've left the military, you're back to being a civvy again. Mm. And that injury clearly didn't stop you. So yeah. let, let, let's get into this, let's get into this cycling thing because, you know, that's, yeah. you know, that's, uh, for, for me, I, I, I look back at, at some of the things you've done on that bike, in particular one massive event. And I'm, you know, I've done some daft things, but I was completely blown away by, by, by this achievement. So, yeah. I mean, you don't consider yourself a professional athlete on a bike, yet you've done stuff professional athletes wouldn't even dream of trying or, att- or, or, or attempting. Yeah. How did the cycling thing start? And how did this sort of want to support? Because you've done a huge amount for, for specific charities and, yeah. and organizations. And I know, and I know you're, a, you're, you're a good friend with Prince Harry and stuff because of the old military and taking him through training and, bit, and bits and pieces like that. I mean, they're, they're real passions and they're parts of the, you know, of life I get involved in a lot. But I'm really interested to know how, how that all yeah. started and, you know, and just just build me up to what got you to the start of cycling the Pan American Highway. The, the bike ride I applied for the world record in 2016, that five-year period in between, I worked in the security industry. You know, 
my, my, my first issue, as soon as I left the camp gates, when my wife was eight months pregnant, it was trying to, you know, that natural progression with people with our skill sets without sounding like Liam Neeson is the yeah. private security industry. And so I was trying to find a niche within that industry. How do I fit? I didn't want to do maritime security and, and compete with my friends. And so and um, I soon identified that a lot of these security companies were charging stupid amounts of money for um, evacuation plans and crisis management. When I actually scraped the surface, there was nothing there. So I put my home life gave and I went back into, into country and I bought 30 weapons on the black market and I buried them between this in Egypt and decided to do my own evacuation plans, my own case reports. And, and that was it. That was my life in the security industry. I was... Um, I evacuated uh, eight German engineers in September 2012 from Benghazi to um, Tripoli. But then in 2014, and this sort of relates to the bike ride, I, um, I was covering the World Cup in Brazil, and I was told that the Canadian embassy was stranded in Libya. So I flew back in where, uh, London, and I evacuated the Canadian embassy, 18 military and four diplomats from, um, from Libya to Tunis. But that was my, I just thought that was normal. I came home from that trip and my wife said, ah, you know what I mean? This isn't normal what you're doing. I was, and this is where the big pin, the pin dropped for me. There was obviously something going on up here that I hadn't addressed yet. And it was, I was trying to match that adrenaline rush I had while I was still in the military and the special forces without coming to terms with the fact that you'd no longer a part of that community. So something had to change. And um, so that's why I decided to sort of step back a little bit from security. Charity-wise, although I had, you know, I didn't leave the military in the way I'd like to, I was still very passionate about my colleagues in the military. So I was the SBS ambassador for Scotland doing charity work um, with them. So I, I applied when I decided not to uh, do security work. My wife asked me to do um, property development with her. But you can imagine, you know, with my backstory, these architects and planners meeting, I wasn't really interested um, in, in, in the drawings. But that five-year period from leaving the military, I'd sort of neglected my own physical and mental well-being. I'd been so focused on trying to succeed in the security industry yeah. that my injured leg now was two kilos, two kilos lighter than my good leg because of the muscle wastage. So I just bought a push bike uh, from Amazon and cycled to and from the office. It's only about eight miles there, eight miles back. But straight away, being physically active, I felt a lot better again. You know, it wasn't big miles or anything else. So just, you know, just being active. So, um. It was about a month before my 40th birthday. My wife was like, you need to do something to keep yourself physically and mentally engaged. Uh, not saying, you know, smuggle people across borders or bury weapons. So I, um, I applied for a world record for the world's longest road. Um, it's the Pan American Highway. It runs from the southern point of Argentina to northern Alaska. So for me, I needed something that was a challenge. It needed to turn heads and... And yeah, I played for the world record, having only cycled 20 miles. And Guinness came back um, six weeks later and said, you've been successful in your application. So as, as you mentioned there, Harry and I are good friends. We've known each other 13 years on an FAC course together. And he's very much, you know, if you want to talk about charity, he's probably the, one of the biggest philanthropists in the world. So, so I messaged him and told him of my, uh, my intentions of this bike ride. And this was 2016. Um, so Heads Together campaign didn't launch till 2017. We sat down, we talked about uh, mental health. I, I'd seen firsthand and witnessed it with some of my friends in the military about mental health. You know, PTSD was very much yeah. 
the talk uh, in, in the papers. But I was aware how big an issue it was throughout, throughout the whole of society, from postnatal depression, young children, teenagers, and through. So he said, would I do it for that campaign? And I thought, yeah, of course, well, why not? So, um, so that was it. It was a Heads Together campaign. And my, my target was a million pounds because I wanted to... I thought the enormity of the challenge had to reflect how much you were trying trying to raise. It almost had to be a bit of a head turner. Um, I like to be the underdog yeah. <laughs> and try and prove people wrong. Yeah. So that, that, that's, that's how we got to the start point anyway. That's, you know, and then you, 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 you bounced on. So what sort of training? Because if I, if, if I know you and I'm a bit like this, you probably didn't even do remotely what, some professional coach would say you you should do to to prepare yourself for something like this but um you know what was your what was your longest training ride before before you started and you know what what, what was the training regime ready for building up to that yeah when i when i started i did a few things wrong you know i i, I thought well <clears throat> so see so, so listeners and uh, get a, uh, an understanding of the length because of the curvature of the earth and uh, the Pan American Highway is equivalent to cycling from London to Sydney or plus 4,000 miles. Um, it's 15 Land's End John O'Groats back to back. So I thought, well, I'll do Land's End John O'Groats. So Harry asked if I'd cycle Land's End John O'Groats with some of the guys from the Endeavour Fund. And I said, yeah, of course. So I thought, well, I'll do it. Having only cycled three weeks, I went and did Land's End John O'Groats. And, and everyone was like, oh, you're not bike fit yet. You know, you don't know about cadence. I thought bike fit was your fitness. And I said, that. <laughs> that'll come with time I did it all completely wrong mate. you know I did it I thought well I'm going to need a coach here because I knew mentally I, I had it it was all about technique and everything else so I got a couple of coaching to assist me with that but for me was uh, um, is trying to juggle your family life your business and, and everything else and get that time to train so yeah, yeah. my wife sort of took those distractions away from me so I just trained fully for a year um, but for me, I quickly got the uh, muscle mass back in my leg and it wasn't actually from the big endurance rides. It's from the short, sharp uh, hour, hour and a half sessions on, on the yeah. turbo. But for me, training wise, I looked at, you know, in the military, we've operated in the jungle, the degrees in the Atacama Desert to minus 18 yeah. in Alaska. Probably the hardest bike ride I did before that was a 10-hour watt bike session in the altitude center, just purely because you're, you're static. Yeah. Um, but, but for me, just to satisfy myself, I could put it in, the, in those um, environments. But before I set off, I'd never cycled more than 150 miles in, in a day. But as, as the challenge then um, evolved, I was banging out some big, big miles. So how long is the Pan American Highway? What was the record? And what did you do it in? Yeah. So the Pan American Highway is, is 14,000 miles or 22,000 kilometers. Um, and um, the real record, when I, when I applied for it from Guinness, it was 125 days. Six weeks later, when Guinness came back, it was 117 days. It had already been beaten. And so I was aiming for 110 days. As you mentioned, I'm not a cyclist, but, but when I was doing the planning, you know, you, you could look at, contingency plans and, and tertiary plans but there were things that I could potentially come across which are out of my control which is natural disasters coups in countries etc so the world record was 117 days I was aiming for that for 110 but I actually came in in, in 99 days um, it wasn't the original plan I took 10 days off the South America world record I'd sort of learned from uh, 
experiences in the military. You know, when you come off the ground, you have a hot debrief and the three questions are what worked, what didn't work, and if you were to do it again, what would you do differently? So I spoke to the previous record holders and they'd all gone from north to south, but all their issues were in South and Central America. So I thought, well, why take a gamble with the second half of the challenge? Why not address those issues early? So actually, I, I went the opposite of everyone else. Um, took 10 days off South America and I got into uh, North America on day 70 and I was 14 days ahead and I thought, perfect, you know, yeah. I, was, I, was, I was banging out some big miles now. Physically and, and mentally, I was getting stronger as, as a cyclist. And my wife then called me and said that we'd been invited to Harry and Meghan's wedding, which just changed the dynamics completely of the challenge. So for me to get back, I had to be finished by day 102. So. Mentally going into the phone call, I was 14 days ahead. 10 minutes later, I'm a day behind. All those efforts <laughs> I'd done had uh, yeah. gone from me. So I played chess through uh, North America with uh, an app called Windy TV. Yeah. Uh, it uses strength and directions of the winds every hour for two weeks. And I got stuck in Lubbock in Texas at 60 mile an hour winds and tornadoes. So I'm now two days behind and I just put pen to paper, planned it with the app and, you know, played chess with Mother Nature and I cycled North America in 11 and a half days. You know, originally it was supposed to be 17 days, but I was fortunate because we were in, in North America and Canada, we had security. I couldn't cycle at night in South and Central America. We had to be off the road. And so I got a week outside and I'd, I'd done a massive push and I was now back on target. The world record was very much secure and, and I was going to get back in time for the wedding. So I cycled 22 hours in the last 30 hours in minus 18 to make sure that I came in under the 100 days. Like I said, it wasn't the original plan, but I talk about how I, I said the planning was the success of it. You have your start point, your objective. Yeah. And that's where it was with this. I was reacting to the situation on the ground. And, and, and you know, every time something happened, you know, I, I re react accordingly. So if I'd known about the, um, the Royal Wedding and this guy at the start, it may have been too much. You just don't know. But yeah, fortunately yeah. for me, I was in a position yeah. when, the, when it came to me that I, I could act on it. I suppose it's, it's about not deliberately not thinking too far ahead and taking one one step at a time in it and just reacting to the situation you know I, yeah. I remember doing my my 38 day trek to the south pole i reckon i was actually a mm. lot stronger and, and 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 felt more confident towards the end than i than i did it, it at yeah. the start you know i almost did a 24 hour push to, to to the south pole you know covering something like 36 nautical miles yeah. which which was just nuts really for that environment and the, and, and, and the kit you have but it's it was more mental than it was anything I was doing physical and you know it, it's just because I hadn't if I told myself like you I'm going to do 25 push towards the end you know I'd have probably given up weeks before and going you, you know you, you, you're nuts aren't you but so I you know I, yeah. I, I get all of that but you did do it yeah you did break the 100 Barry record and you did get back for the wedding because I saw you on telly <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I did. But I think, I think you, you rightly put there, you don't want to be thinking too far no. ahead. So, you know, with me, I, I break it. Um, I, again, I just took my experiences from the military. You know, you start selection day one. Yeah. You know, you're not about badging day and getting your belt six months later. You're yeah, you just CFT. Just get the CFT out of the way. Just, just deal with what's in front of you at, at that point. Um, so for me, I broke... I broke the, we had 14 countries into, into days and I broke the days into four stages. 
Yeah. And all I would have, I have my breakfast and just cycle as fast as I could for two hours because that would dictate how long I needed to be on the bike for the rest of the day. For 30 minutes, I'd have food and water, but I was disciplined with my timings. I was back on the bike. You know, I yeah. wasn't having a selfie with a llama or chatting to the documentary team. And all I would then do is look at the next two hours. You know, don't think, don't look too far ahead. Just deal with what's in front of you. So for me, I was only doing, I was doing four mini fizz sessions a day. I wasn't doing a world record attempt. Um, and then as, as it then evolved and I was hitting my objectives and then the winds sort of changed to my advantage, you know, you were then getting a lot, you're in a positive mindset and you're obviously naturally getting fitter as well. So I started at 90 kilos and I finished at 78 kilos as well. <laughs> Well, mate, it was it was absolutely incredible, and you know, I I remember following it, or just getting just getting hooked on it, you know, towards yeah. towards the end, and just waiting for that next post. And you know, the it's 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 almost like the the sort of social media frenzy around you and and people that we know, as you were approaching the finish, was you know was 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 just you know it was it was addictive. Yeah. You know, you just you just got addicted to it. So a lot of our a lot of our listeners, mate, yeah. we're not look we're not you know these are people who. And a lot of people we, we we sort of target at the outdoor community athlete are people who just really struggle with that business work life balance, which is very much what you do now. You know, supporting the mm. the property management business, but you're still going on and setting yourself new challenges, big goals. You still have to keep your body physically active, and and for me, by doing that, it actually makes yeah. you more mentally astute, more mentally aware, and actually more capable in the, in a, in a business. You know, how do you manage that work life balance? Yeah. With, with, with exercise, how, how, you know, how, how do you do it? Yeah, I, you know, I'm very fortunate that my, my wife, um, you know, is, is on side with me. She, she supports me, you know, because I, I genuinely believe that anyone can break a real record. If you take away all those distractions, your business, your mortgage, you know, someone's looking after the kids, you know, yeah. and then you just focus on the training, it's very much easy. So, um, but it is difficult. And I always say to people, if you, the most difficult part is the training because, Again, you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. You know, I didn't know about COVID. You know, that's totally changed my training. I'm supposed to be kayaking at the moment, and I'm not. Hard work is what people don't see. Off, oh, we did the the launch night and all the the, the media and things like that, and everyone's like, "Oh, you know, this is the launch." I'm that. This is the final chapter. It's the 18 months before you haven't seen. Um, yeah, and, and I mean, 100. I, I, you just I want to go that. for it, then. Yeah, I mean, I I get that. When you're on when you're on the start line, it's almost it's done, isn't it? You know, you're just like. You know, I've, I've I've nailed this now because I got to the start line. I know I know I'm going to be all right. I, I talk yeah. a lot to people about about preparation, but not just in business life, but in family life. Yeah. And if you're surrounding yourself with the wrong people and you've got buckets and buckets of problems, you're yeah. never ever going to focus on being the best you can be at the start line. No, yeah. true. So I talk a lot. We talk a lot about personal admin in you know and just being good at admin in in the military, and that teaches us a, a lot. And how to sort of compartmentalize and put things in the right places and sort things out and knowing yeah. that if you're going to be away for six months seven months however long mm. all these things are going to be massive distractions when i'm there so i can't focus unless i fix them and sort them now yeah. so to be good at business and be good at physical endurance challenges and stuff like that your family life has to be right the people you surround yourself with have to be right the bills have to be paid or there needs to at least be a plan for, for, for everything and every eventuality. You know, do you, do you find that you do that yourself? And you've, you've, you know, you've clearly got a very strong, a very strong partner. We've, we've, you know, that really does get involved 
And again, that's back to surrounding yourself with the right people, I suppose. Yeah, no, it is. It's almost like, you know, for me, I just related to going on tour, everything, your admins all, all squared away, you know, family life's good. Um, yeah, it is. It, it's, it's, it is difficult, you know, because obviously when we're in the military, you, you had to do it. Now it, yeah. it's almost you're volunteering to do it as well. So uh, Absolutely, it, yeah. it is, though, but you need to have everything. You can't, can't afford to have any distractions um, at all um, on this. And, and for me, it's like I almost go, I get into a headspace or a zone. So originally I was supposed to do my launch night and, and everything else and then go back to Aberdeen for two weeks. And I said, no. We do it all because once I say goodbye, I'm already getting my head into yeah, that yeah. that space it needs to be, rather than being distracted with, with, with family. And it sounds harsh, maybe to some of the listeners. It's like us on on tour in Afghan or, or Iraq. You know, yeah. six months away is, is normal to us. But um, but yeah, no, you do need to get your house in order. That's yeah, you, I mean, that, when you're there, that's where you need to be. You can't be there and be at home because it just doesn't work, does it? <clears throat> and I think for me, I, I, I was quite, I'd say I was fortunate, I wasn't, because of the time difference, I, was, I only had about three phone calls with my kids in, in, that, in that three and a half months, um, but when I had the phone call, it was something to, to look forward to, but, um, but for me, like, no, no news is good news, actually, when Alana rang me about the wedding, I had five missed calls, so I thought there's, there's an issue, you know, I, I panicked, got off the bike, and thought there may be something wrong with the kids but in fact it was this this wedding invitation so um yeah. so yeah but you know again that, that can mess with your head <laughs> so, tell me what's next what's the next big challenge because i know you've got something coming up i like to be the underdog i like to you know yeah. push myself and test myself so the next one is to kayak kayak now from sources being done from us in rwanda all the way to uh, egypt 4280 miles away Right, we, we broke up a bit there, so I want to make sure yeah. when I edit this, I've got it, I've got it right. So, can you just repeat the challenge when when it's not so? Um, we're not. Yeah. So, yeah. So, um, repeat that challenge yeah. bit. Repeat the challenge. So, my, my challenge is to kayak the River Nile from source to sea. The source in Rwanda, uh, four thousand two hundred eighty miles to the Mediterranean Sea, uh, but that's going to have. Um, you know, challenges itself, you know, be it wildlife, you know, crocs, hippos, civil war in South Sudan, but, uh, but a great challenge. No, I'm, lo I'm looking forward to it. But obviously, we need to see what the landscape of the land looks like. Um, that may have to get pushed to next year, as with most people. So, um, what is the target date at the moment? So, the, the best weather window is November to May. That's the best weather window to do it. Um, we, we've got a documentary team on board. We chat with a few broadcasters. So it, it was almost, we were in those latter stages of conversations, but everything's been put on hold. You know, the other week there was four cases of COVID. So it will be, be dictated by the situation on the ground and by the broadcasters. So is this, has this been done before and you, you're breaking a record or will this be a first? This will be a first. There's, there's people have done stages of it. People have done uh, uh, stages, but never from the source to see. So unlike the Pan American Highway, where I could, you know, speak to previous record holders and and, and gain that information from them, we will be, you know, doing this from from a. Right, and I know people would love to support it and get involved. So are you are you sticking with the Heads Together campaign? Are you doing it for the same charity? 
this one's going to be highlighted in modern slavery and human trafficking. I think it's actually quite relevant uh, along the region. But also we'll be, you know, highlighting poverty, no pollution. Uh, we're doing some stuff, uh, some research, you know, collecting queen monarch butterflies as well. So, you know, there's going to be so many arms dropping off it. But uh, rather than focus on one thing, we'll focus on a number of things. Yeah, that's, that's great. That sounds fantastic, mate. So... Talk to me very quickly, mate, because you've not long written a book and published a book. Um, I think you've got, is that one there? Yeah, let's have a look at it. Yeah, Dean Stott, Relentless. Brilliant. So I'm, I'm assuming, well, I know that that's available in all, all, all good book sale outlets, Amazon, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, uh, Amazon, Audio, Waterstones, yeah. And is that a, is that a, is that a life story thing or is it just about the, the Pan American Highway? What, 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 what are you covering in there? So, yeah, you're covering everything. It's almost in three stages, actually. It's the, the childhood and the, and the military. Um, the private security, actually, there is the middle and the, the bike ride, actually. And because the private security, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of stories in there as well. You know, I've talked about evacuating embassies on my own, but, you know, meeting ministers, trying to assist them with their security situation. So, you know, it's... it's no, the Institute of Excellence which is one of ethos of the special forces. You're going to do it, do it to the best. I sort of achieved that in the military. I then went and did it in security, and I then just transferred that into in yeah mindset, and it's transferable into anything you can do, really. No, that's 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 great, mate, and I know it's been quite successful. So, um, how do we follow you, mm. Dean? How do we keep in touch, and um, how do the how do the guys who obviously will be inspired by this story follow yeah. follow dean stott's next big challenge yeah so you can follow me on instagram and facebook at, at dean stott uh, i'm back on twitter i don't I'm not a big fan of twitter but i know it's a platform at dean stott sbs or go to my website uh, www.deanstott.com uh, we're just in the process of changing the website and we'll we'll um, insert in there all the links to the, the challenges I mean that's, that's that's fantastic. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna keep you any longer, but I really appreciate your time, and I know you're busy, mate. Um, but it's great to catch up just with an old friend as well. So um, you know, and, uh, and 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 having that chat. So we'll we'll put this out on the Outdrafted community, uh, which people can subscribe to to listen to, and you'll you'll be one of uh, a number of great guests we've had on recently. Really appreciate your time. Thanks very much, Dean, and uh, catch you soon, buddy.